0: I really was just frustrated with everything that we were dealing with on the job, everything that I was seeing in the news. I'm already working hard, and just, it felt like sanitation workers were the the punching bag.
1: You're listening to Philly Who, the podcast that tells the stories of the doers, thinkers, and performers of Philadelphia. My name is Kevin Schmidlin, and today I'm chatting with Terrell Hagler. Terrell is the founder and face of Your Fave Trash Trashman, which is an online brand and Instagram account with over 30,000 followers. Terrell originally began the account in 2020 when trash was piling up in the city due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Since then, The account has exploded in popularity, leading Terrell to organize neighborhood cleanups, start a nonprofit, and even develop an app. And he's done all of this with one goal in mind Terrell is working to make Philadelphia litter free by the year 2025. The story of your fave trash man, Terrell Hagler, is now on Philly Who. Just a heads up, there are some really graphic descriptions in this episode of what sanitation workers go through every day. If you are
0: squeamish, you've been warned. My name is Terrell Hegler, also known as your fave trash man. Terrell is
1: as native to Philadelphia as anyone. He was born here and spent his childhood around a lot of familiar local locations.
0: Uh, growing up in North Philly by Temple's campus, my mom worked at the Federal Reserve Bank. Got uh, it. Yeah, so I used to take the 8th of Market to her job all the time. Yeah. We lived right off of Poplar Street, so it was right. one block to Gerard and three stops to 8th of Market.
1: In order to keep a hyper-young Terrell occupied, his mom encouraged him to get
0: involved in a ton of after-school activities. Mom still was like, hey, he just had too much energy. Yeah. Couldn't keep up with it. I needed a break on Saturday. I did so many things as a kid chess, tennis, basketball, soccer. Then we went to church all day Sunday. I was doing theater at the age of three. I'm at Freedom Theater at Broad and uh, Master.
1: Of all the activities, Terrell's favorite was the one that allowed him to move the most dance.
0: And around eight, the directors was like, "You move really well for your age, and you want to try dance." And my mom was like, "Yep, he'll do it. Whatever, it doesn't matter." And just fell in love with it—ballet, uh, jazz, hip hop, modern, salsa, and tap, and this—it's just all different types of genres of dance. And, and what about dance? Did you love? It was just the freedom of movement. Me being a smaller guy. Uh, Dancing next to taller people and like, so, you know, taller people have the long lines and the look, but as a smaller dancer, I had the height of jumps Mm. and I can move faster than them. So where it would take them three, four, five steps to do something to take me, too. Hmm. So it was always, like, the challenge of dancing next to, you know, taller guys and taller women. Just I just really loved it. it just I made lifelong friends at Freedom Theater. I still talk to most of my dance teachers and acting teachers, wow. and it became like a second family for me.
1: He loved it so much that, to those who knew him,
0: his path seemed crystal clear. Then when I got to high school, I went to creative and performing arts high school. One of my dancers was like, hey, you could come to U Arts just stand and there. And I'm like, no, dancing is not going to define me. They're not going to write dancer on my tombstone. I'm going to Coppin State and study computer science. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I was my whole life. Whatever was the norm, I went against it. So I did one year at Coppin State University in Baltimore. And I'm walking on campus. And I hear somebody screaming my name. I'm like, there's nobody in Baltimore that knows me. It's my dance teacher from Philly. (laughs) She also teaches dance at Coppin State. She drove down to Baltimore once a week to teach dance at Coppin State. I'm like, can I not (laughs) just get away? So she's like, well, I know what your minor is. Oh, my gosh. She made me minor in dance. And, you know, I just fell in love with it all over again.
1: Sometimes it feels like the universe is pushing us in one direction, even when we are fighting against it. This was the case for Terrell because, as it turns out, there was somebody that knew him. Somebody from his past who would end up completely changing his plans for his future. It was fate. And it was an employment opportunity because that same instructor had a professional dance company and was eager to hire Terrell.
0: I was the first male in her dance company and got to, you know, travel a little bit and uh, danced at the Capitol and did some other things. And then with Freedom Theater, got a chance to go over to Panama for a week and do a cultural exchange and just had that gig life. I uh, I auditioned for Spider-Man on Broadway and I made the chorus as a dancer. Mm -hmm. But then they asked me to sing and they was like, oh. Uh, we got to draw the line there, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Not a singer. (laughs) Not a singer at all. Not a singer at all. So
1: he stuck with dancing, but dancers rely on gigs, and that means that income is not always reliable. This is manageable if you are on your own, but the day eventually came where Terrell had someone other than himself to provide for.
0: Around 2011, that's when I had my first child, my daughter, Aria. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh, gig life doesn't work. And your mom was like, Nope, gig life does not work. Yeah. You're starving artists, you can't do that with a kid. So started trying to find W-2s. Yeah.
1: But it was tough to find something that stuck. Terrell just didn't feel like he had found something that was meaningful yet.
0: I would get uncomfortable at jobs around three, four years, like, oh, mm-hmm. like Getting up and making you money just does not sit right with me.
1: So he bounced around a lot.
0: Worked at Lucky Brand, a Fresh Grocer, Caesar B Moore. I went to carpentry school. Worked as a waiter, bartender, stagehand, a rehearsal director, assistant stage manager, a cleaner, a floor tech the Salvation Army Croc, and was a program director. I ran the gym, started teaching aerobic classes, Pilates, aqua aerobics, jazzercise class.
1: That wasn't even all of it. But then eventually, Terrell saw an opportunity that got him thinking long term. That opportunity was a job in the Philly Sanitation Department.
0: It's a city job, you know, they tell you, you know, 10 years, get a pension, right off into the sunset and go retire in Aruba somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what they tell you. So I'm like, okay, fine, this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I applied for the job while at the the Salvation Army Crock Center in 2017. The city opens up the list every two years, and I was like number 782. That was my number, and I forgot about it, honestly. Then, two years later in 2019, he gets an email. It was like, hey, your number has been called. Do you still want the job for sanitation? I was like, yeah, why not? And you took it? I, I took it. The picture that was painted was
1: pretty rosy. Stable job, 10 years, Aruba. But once Terrell started, what he
0: found wasn't exactly roses. It's like a shock. like. From the smell, to the walking, to the wildlife, to the understanding operation, to dealing with elements that you ignore usually. When you're in the middle of winter, you know, then you start to notice things about the job. Like, most of the trucks I got in didn't have heat Hmm. in the middle of winter. And I'm like, guys, you know this isn't normal. We could probably call OSHA on this one. You know this, right? And they're like, oh, it's been like that for 30 years.
1: That problem, lack of heat, was easy to ignore when compared to the other things Terrell saw. And if you are particularly squeamish, now is the time to skip ahead two minutes.
0: I literally had somebody. It was working with me. We were throwing trash. Uh, He put a bag in. It splashed, and human feces hit him in the face. Mm. He took his gloves off. He threw them in the truck. He walked away. And I never saw him again. And that wasn't even the worst of it. People were getting poked by needles every single week. Mm. Every week. And then the process of after you get poked by a needle, you go to the comp clinic, which is like our urgent care. Get there. If the needle drew blood, when you got poked, that's 13 shots you're getting right there. Right there on the spot. Then you're on eight pills, four in the morning, four at night for the next six months. Six months. Because who knows what was in that needle? Who knows who uses that needle? Yeah. And I had multiple coworkers at my yard got poked and was like, I see y'all in half a year. Cause they was like, i might as well just go out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's either put them on light duty or, you know, had one guy was picking something up and it was construction and he didn't know, glass sliced his leg wide open. And that happens more times than not. Like when I say being a sanitation worker is not for the faint of heart. I've been dumping a can. And a rat bigger than me has come out the bottom of the can, rolled down my body, and scurried off. Wow. Yeah. So the rat went east, and I went west. Right, right, right. (laughs) Just listening to this
1: podcast episode is not for the faint of heart. Imagine if this was your job. Believe
0: it or not, if it was, you'd get used to it. Every day, every week, you know, you just get more accustomed and more accustomed. So starting to learn my routes and it become a little easier than throwing bags and you learn little techniques and you're running handles and you, get a, you have a permanent partner, hopefully, and you guys start to mesh and get a driver. So it gets a little easier.
1: Terrell was on the job for three months and he found a rhythm, but he started in December 2019. Three months after that was March 2020. And yes, as you
0: know, things changed. And Terrell's rhythm was thrown off. I'm a little weird. I do weird things. I used to time how long it would take us on a block, Mm -hmm. you know? Before corona, maybe like 20 minutes, 22 minutes on a normal double-sided city block. During corona, maybe a half hour, 45 minutes. And I'm like, what is the difference? Everybody was home. So where this house last week had four bags, now it has 10. Mm. You're like, okay, they're they're home. You expect it to be more. Then you go, you know, the trash day comes back around. They got 15 this time. And I'm like, oh, it's more trash. Philadelphia decided every DIY project that they've been holding off for 20 years, people decided to do them during corona. So then you get to a house and it got wood and nails and this and that and bed frames and this Mm. and paint. And you're just like... What the heck?
1: And Terrell dealt with this day after day after day. On top of the usual environmental dangers of the job and double the amount of trash,
0: he also had to deal with the danger of COVID itself. Everybody that's home quarantining, who's sick, when they sneeze, when they blow their nose, when they cough, when they, where does it go? The the trash. trash. Who's the first person to touch your trash after you put it out? That's you. And then don't even add the fact that not everybody ties their bags. Right. And then you add the fact that it's been sitting in the heat for three days. I didn't see my kids for six weeks, the beginning of corona. I I had to see them through a a door, a glass door, because I didn't know what I was bringing home. I didn't know what I was contracting. There wasn't enough information, and I refused to get my kids sick. They come first. So that was one of the hardest six weeks of my life, not being able to hug my four-year-old. What about PPE? Oh, there was none. They gave us like blankets, like they cut up sheets and said, here go your mask.
1: It was during these early days of the pandemic that we coined the term essential worker. These were the times of standing outside on balconies and banging pots and pans at 7 p.m. to celebrate the doctors and nurses who were on the front line. People were donating food and masks and celebrating the people who were keeping our society running. Like the sanitation workers. And as this support for essential workers grew, Terrell was hoping that he and his colleagues would be recognized
0: for all they were enduring. And then articles start coming out saying it's our fault.
1: A few months into quarantine, Philly's trash collection was way behind. It was hot out, there was trash everywhere, and the city smelled. Philadelphians were angry, and so they started to take it out on the people who were trying to fix the problem.
0: I remember reading that we're just abusing time and abusing PTO, and we're lazy. People want to fight. Why are y'all just getting here and we're like we doing the best we can, like you know? People are coming out of their houses, yeah. and confronting you, yeah, literally, or, or waiting for us, waiting for us to get to the block. What's taking y'all so long? This trash been sitting here for four days, and we're like. So do you want us to get it now or argue with you? Well, (laughs) you choose, because we could go either way. Right. You know? I mean, I was on a truck one time when a guy pulled a gun out. He pulled a gun out because we were collecting trash on his block. He didn't want to move his U-Haul truck. And we're like, you're impeding operation. We could call the cops and get your U Haul towed, but it doesn't have to be like that. Just loop around the block. Pull the gun out. What what goes through your head when you see that? Is it necessary? Like, did we, we we have to go there? And, like, my driver, he's 60 years old. He's, you know, he's old school. He's getting out the truck. I'm like, come on, guy. Like, it's it's not that deep. It's not. It's trash. Right. Yeah. And we're trying to take it. Everybody in the city was just so frustrated. And just, it felt like sanitation workers were the the punching bag.
1: Yeah.
0: No matter what, you could blame the trash being on the ground because sanitation workers. That's how I
1: felt. Imagine for a second how disheartening that must be. Your work has doubled. On top of the usual environmental dangers of the job, you now have to worry about a scary, invisible, deadly virus. You can't see your family, and despite all you've been enduring and risking, the entire city that you're serving is taking out their fear and
0: exasperation on you. I was just frustrated. I really was just frustrated with everything that we were dealing with on the job, everything that I was seeing in the news, I'm already working hard, eight hours a day, walking 40,000 steps, picking up some trash bags or like 100 pounds. I'm already doing that. Now you add arguing with people, Mm. like who wants to do that? And I just felt like leadership wasn't stepping up Mm. at all. They were just letting us take the brunt of it.
1: Terrell needed a way to express some of this pent-up stress and frustration he was feeling. So he turned to social media.
0: I was just like, here's a way for me to express myself, but also give people a real life look. And then maybe people will, I literally, the whole thought was maybe people will be nicer to us. Maybe people will treat sanitation workers with respect. Maybe they give us a little grace that we're two days behind because it's not our fault. Mm. And then maybe the job will be easier. With that, your fave trash man was born. So June 17th was my first post. As your fave trash man, I was like, just an inside scoop because I'm tired of arguing with people on the route what it is to be a trash man.
1: So in June 2020, Terrell started to post about his day-to-day routines to the account. And while doing so, he also baked in a way for anybody who happened to follow the account to support
0: by buying a t-shirt. I think I started selling the t-shirts in August and the t-shirts were $20, to design. And I was like, hey just help us get PPE and cleaning supplies. The city say they can't afford it. That was it.
1: That was Terrell's goal. He wanted to raise a little awareness and maybe a little money so that he and his coworkers could just get some personal protection. Did the account grow quickly? Like it's August, it's 2 months. What are we looking at here?
0: probably, probably like 1500 followers Yeah, I'm I'm like, like, oh, yeah, still. Yeah, like every, every you know my daughter could probably have, you know, a thousand followers <laughs> if she wanted to she's <laughs> 10. Right.
1: But His follower count didn't remain this way for very long because pretty soon after Terrell had gotten a little momentum, the media caught on.
0: It was uh, the article by Stephanie Farr um, and, and the Enquirer, and then there was the national article by abigail cruz for gma Hmm. and that's when the flood started happening then everybody started coming then everybody wants to know about the t-shirt and i'm walking in the rain with bill anderson on the route talking about ppe and i'm talking to this person i'm doing this podcast and and then like boom by september i'm at like 20,000 followers, like just within those, from like the end of July to the beginning of September, October, like just a flood. And I raised $32,000 in four weeks. As Yafav
1: Trashman grew, he did more than just raise money for PPE. Something else started to happen, something that he had been desperately hoping for. The whole
0: city was like, wait, it's not their fault. They're going through, if not more, the same thing that we're going through with their families experiencing corona, but they're actually out here working every day. I was talking to other co-workers at other yards and they were like, yo, people are giving us water, Gatorade, water, ice. And, you know, if you go back to my beginnings, uh, me in the beginning of talking, I always would say, can you give us grace? Can you have some understanding? Can you give us grace? Can you have some understanding? And then. You started to see it. You started to see the grace be applied to us. You started to see the understanding flow through people. Like, hi, how are you today? You're like, good. (laughs) What do you want? Nothing. We just want to let you know that you're so important and we appreciate you. Thanks. Mind (laughs) passing me your can? (laughs) Like, okay. You're nice. Yeah. And then you get to the next house, hi, thank you. Did you guys plan that? Like, what's... And it's just more and more, more and more, more and more. Just every neighborhood is just like, Unreal. and they're all like, yeah, your faith freshman told me to tell you that we appreciate you. And I'm just like, oh, I wish my kids would listen like this. <laughs> this would be a win-win. <laughs> how, how does that feel for you? Just a couple months
1: after starting this thing, to so viscerally see and feel the impact and have so many of your peers feel the impact as well. Like, what? how does that feel?
0: It feels great. I mean, I don't take credit for it. I feel like it was always inside of residents. They just didn't know how to express it. Mm-hmm. I, I say that people have wanted to support sanitation. I have wanted to love sanitation workers since the beginning of the time. There just wasn't a space to.
1: Now, there is. When your fave trashman Instagram blew up, Terrell realized that he was onto something and it was something that he wanted to be more than just a viral moment. So he took steps to build Yefave Trashman into more than just an off-the-cuff outlet for his frustrations.
0: There's no way I can answer emails and still throw trash. Right. You know, everyone's requesting an interview. Everybody's doing this. So, you know, I had a friend already, and she has a master's degree in marketing and journalism. And, you know, she has a company already called uh, Right Here, Right Now. So I was like, hey, can I just hire you as my manager and you help me? And she was like, yeah, sure. Do it on my part time, you know. And then she even realized, like, wait, this is going to be a thing. Yeah. So then after that, she was like, okay, I think you you need to talk to my other friend. His name is Brandon. Um, He's, I think, an adjunct at Cornell. Okay. Yeah. He has a whole branding company called True Theory where they, like, made me dig into, like, the branding of your fave trash man. What is he going to do? Your fave trash man versus Terrell. Is this, is that, what mm. kind of? So, like, I went through this whole process of finding my pillars and knowing what my pastries are and what's on brand, what's off mm. brand, what's this, what's that. So, you know, always to protect myself, protect my family. But if this was going to be a thing, do it the right way. Why not see okay. where it it takes me, you know what I mean?
1: With this new platform and some professional branding, Terrell was ready when opportunity struck and he was contacted by a local government official.
0: I got to credit State Rep Jared Solomon. He reached out and was like, hey, I'm throwing trash for a shift. And I'm like, okay, sure. He's like, no, I really am. I said, well, get on my Instagram Live with me and let's talk about it. So he jumped on Instagram Live and I told him what to expect. And at the dump, we actually ran into each other. Hmm. And I was like, so how's the first half? And he was like, what? I said, you have a whole nother load to go. You got to fill the truck twice. He was like, no way. No. I said, yeah. And then after he did his two loads, we talked. And he was just like, you guys do this every day? I said, yeah. He was like, why are you smiling? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I am going to burn these clothes. Like, I am never want to see these clothes again. I was like, Yeah. It's not what you thought, right? And then from our conversations, he was like, and the amount of litter that I see, I say, yeah, you're the state rep. Mm -hmm. You're responsible for that. Mm -hmm. You have the power to do something. Sanitation workers don't. Mm -hmm. And then we came up with the idea of a neighborhood cleanup.
1: At this point, Terrell had used this platform to hold a few smaller, non-trash-related events to support the sanitation and other essential workers. But this was different than what he had done before and different than a lot of the other cleanups that were held in the past. And we
0: had the idea to make it different was have the truck right there. Hmm. Most times you do a neighborhood cleanup, you bag it up, you leave it on the corner, and it's sitting there five days later. Is it really clean at that point? Right. So I was like, let's get the trash truck there If it's a city trash truck, we throw it right in the truck, and then they can go to the dump for free, and you see immediate impact Mm. on the neighborhood. So he was like, I love it. That's a genius idea. I said, well, I'll handle the volunteers. I have the platform. I'll get the people out. You handle the streets department. That was our collab. And at that time, uh, T-Mobile was my sponsor. So they was like, well, what do you need? I was like, you guys send a DJ. Mm. Right? Because who can clean without music, right? And then I had GoPuff at the time as well. And GoPuff was like, well, we want to help. I was like, you guys send snacks and Gatorade. So our first cleanup, we had about 45 people and we just cleaned around our state Reps district.
1: The cleanup was so impactful that more representatives immediately reached out.
0: Maybe a week later, Malcolm Kenyatta calls me and is like, hey, we got to do something for MLK Day. I was like, yes, yeah, day of service. Like, we should do a cleanup. He was like, but in my district. I was like, heck yeah, in mm. North Philly, for sure. So we drove around North Philly, and then I found this block. It was like six lots mm. that were just filled with trash. Like every single lot had trash. I was like, Malcolm, I found it. We got to do it here. We did a whole big press release, everything. 200 people showed up. From all different types of neighborhoods, from all different parts of the city, 200 people showed up. And we cleaned out those six lots. And I think the waste slip said like seven tons of trash. Seven tons. Just in one go. On one go.
1: Up until this point, Terrell spent much of his adult life getting bored with work and then hopping from job to job. But after his clean MLK day cleanup, he felt
0: something that he's never felt before. I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to take on the city and its cleanliness. So, from there, I just, I was like, it's smart to do it with state reps. They have the power, they have the pool, the people want to see them in the district actually doing things. And that's kind of how I got like wrapped up in the judicial races this, uh, this past February. Um, just, you know, being around them and talking to them and then starting to meet judges and met Larry Krasner. And so I just kind of got swooped up in that for a little bit, but all the whole time just cleaning different parts of the city. And now your mission is to make Philadelphia cleaner. Yep. With zero litter by 2025. That is the goal.
1: Now, I know you might be thinking that, sure, litter is a big deal, but isn't Philly facing
0: some more important problems right now? If you look at the zip codes that most of the gun violence is, those are the dirtiest zip codes in the city. There's a reason that's connected. You know what I'm saying?
1: So one of my questions that I was going to ask is, how does this issue relate to the bigger issues that are often more discussed, right? Gun violence, opioid epidemic. How does cleanliness of Philadelphia relate to those issues? They should be triplets.
0: They are all together. They were born at the same time. If you really think about it, the cleanliness of the neighborhood exudes low expectation, exudes low standards. So if you live on a block where there's trash everywhere, do you really care that kids are selling drugs on the corner? Mm -hmm. But if you go to a neighborhood where there's trash cans on every corner and everything is clean, as soon as something don't look right on that corner comes... They're calling the cops Mm. because we have a certain expectation and we have a certain standard for this community. So if I can get these communities that don't have that standard and don't have that expectation to have it by just me going in going, I'm cleaning your block today.
1: And this isn't speculation. On a smaller scale, Terrell has seen firsthand how simply cleaning a neighborhood can transform the lives of the people who live there. I I
0: cleaned uh 24th and Norris um right behind the William Dick School the elementary school they've been using the back of that school for a dumping ground hmm. uh, we filled the trash truck up so I'm thinking it was like nine and a half tons that we picked up um from behind that school. I went back to do like some follow-up pictures, and some kids were coming down. They was running down the back of the street. They was like, what you doing? Why are you taking pictures? I said, do y'all remember how dirty this was? They was like, oh, yeah. Where did all the trash go? I said, well, I cleaned it up on Saturday. And the one little girl was like, why would you do that? I said, why would I leave it? They was like, it's been like that forever. We just got used to it. I said, but why normalize trash? I said, how do you feel walking down this block now? How do you feel walking behind a school now? And it was like, I actually want to go get a rope or get some chalk and play now. I said, well, now you have the space. And that's why I do it. That's the impact that I want to make. That's the life-changing moments I want to experience with other people. Going, I don't want anything from you. I don't need credit. I don't, now there's a group of kids at 24th and Norris now that I can play rope and draw on chalk and all that stuff because all the trash is gone versus getting into trouble.
1: This is a huge goal with a huge impact, and it's admittedly going to take more than working with elected officials to solve
0: it. Luckily, Terrell has a plan. I am coming out with an app. Yeah? I have, yep. Uh, myself and my friend Morgan at Milk Creek, we've developed—she's the technical side. I'm more like the face. Um, she's developed an app that's going to help pay people hmm. to clean blocks. Uh, we're not talking about short dumpings. We're just talking about the litter on the ground, mm. you know, up and down your neighborhood blocks. Uh, we call them block tenders. We don't know if it's going to stick, but block tenders will be paid by corporations and residents, neighbors on the block that will, you know, split the bill to pay them monthly to every week, one day a week, have someone come down their block and pick up all the litter and bags. So we have we have really big dreams, but we're definitely going to start with the litter And we're definitely going to make sure that it's user friendly and we're going to make sure that um, people get paid. Because another thing for me is have an eight year old son. The gun violence in the city is real. So I'm like, you know, Morgan probably can't go into some of these neighborhoods, Mm. but I can go into these neighborhoods and be like, yo, download this app. And instead of selling drugs on this corner, make $600 a month cleaning the neighborhood that you live in as a side job. Start there. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, this is like lift for Litter. Like, literally. Yeah. So uh, we got some corporate sponsors. We have some residents that are willing to. We're in the beta stage. We have some hmm. pilots coming out in certain neighborhoods. But um, hopefully by, like, September, the app will be in the App Store and everything. And people will be able to download it. It's called Glitter. Uh, don't litter, make the city glitter. <laughs> and branding, baby. <laughs> I, I, I kinda got good at it. Yeah, I kinda got I studied, good at it. I love that. I kinda got good at it. Um and I think the app could be a, a game changer for the amount of litter because what you're doing is you're paying people to keep it clean. Yeah. You're not you're not waiting every six months to do a cleanup. Yeah. You're making sure that it stays clean on a consistent basis. In addition to the app. Terrell has taken his advocacy work to
1: another level in hopes of improving more than just Philly's litter problem. He wants to
0: be a hub with many services. I started a nonprofit called Trash to Treasure. Um, Basically, I just want to help people, places, and things find the treasure inside of them through charitable, educational, and community services. So I want my nonprofit to be a hub of resources. If you're trying to get in contact with your elected official and you can't come to Trash to Treasure, I'll call your elected official. If you need a neighborhood cleanup, well, you know, we can do that. I'm working on an expungement clinic Hmm. slash job fair um, with Pulse, Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equality. So I'm working on an expungement clinic and, you know, I think big. I'm trying to have a judge, whole court right there, make a decision, your record is expunged, and you walk to the other side of the room and there's 20 employers where you could just Apply for jobs that hire re entry citizens. And I'm, you know, and I always collab. So I'm collabing with um, Power Circle, I'm collabing with uh, Millennials in Action, my guy Abu Edwards, like just a bunch of people that I've met through the platform that are doing the same work. Like I said, I don't need credit. I just want to see outcome. So I, you know, um, Jeff Brown introduced me to Renee Fatah, and then we've been talking. And so now I'm like, all right, pulling all, like everybody, let's just do it together, do it together, do it together. Let's just, That's just impact community. What kind of impact do you get when you show up Saturday morning, get your record expunged on the spot, apply for 15 jobs, and 10 of them call you and say yes? Is that a person that's going to go home and shoot somebody? Or is that a person that's going to go and buy some clothes and get ready for work? Because they now have the opportunity to get a job that they couldn't do Friday and support their family. Yeah. That's how we get rid of gun violence. Yeah, Just impacting lives. I mean, I'm not saying it's not nothing, but telling somebody to stop shooting, it's not going to work without giving them resources to not shoot. They're shooting because of drug wars. They're shooting because of anger. They're shooting because of poverty. Give a person a job. I'm pretty sure he's not going to have time to hang with his friends right. and do stuff. Yeah. Cause he's gonna be tired. You know, so that's my mentality. Because that's how my mom raised me. I did so many things. So when I got back to school, I was tired. Mm. And I was like, Oh, my weekend was amazing. I was like, huh. I <laughs> felt like I worked all weekend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's already been a year since Terrell started Your Fave Trash Man. In that time, he's transformed Philadelphia's views of its own sanitation workers. He's cleaned the city, he's developed an app, and he started a nonprofit. It's a lot to do in a year, but Terrell credits much of these accomplishments to one thing he did repeatedly.
0: I had to literally bet on me and that whole flight or fight, like, Mm. it's all on you. If I don't make money or if I don't meet certain ends, my family doesn't eat. My kids, I can't take my kids to the movie. He encourages others to do the same. If you feel as though this is your purpose, as this is calling you, that you eat, sleep, and drink this thing, and everybody is telling you no, you keep. Talking, You keep using your voice. You keep pitching it. You keep grinding. But that also takes courage. Yeah. But it all, to me, that also takes belief that you believe in this thing so much that you're willing to sacrifice your mind, your body for these eight hours to make those four hours the best hours of the day. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So for anybody that wants to do something and has a passion, I don't care if your passions are shoestrings. If you think shoestrings should be a thing and nobody is Listening to you, and nobody's giving you attention, and no, then you create it. You you make it a thing. You keep grinding when it makes sense. Some people just put all the eggs in one basket and just go. And I tell anybody on my personality, I jump off the cliff and learn how to fly on the way down. <laughs> yeah. Other people learn how to fly first, yeah. and then jump, and then other people half but read the instructions and then they you know but. You know, whatever works for you. I can't dictate your success, and I can't navigate it either. You can't navigate my success, and you can't dictate it. But what I can control is what I'm going to control. So I knew that I had something to say. I knew I had a feeling. I knew I was like, listen, we have to be treated better. Sanitation workers have to be treated better. I deserve to be able to walk up and down the street with my kids and Mm -hmm. them not point out how many bags of chips they see. Mm -hmm. Like, that shouldn't be a game. Yeah. They should. Well, what down there? They're getting so good at it. They're oh, I saw three sour cream and onions and two cheddar balls. I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is
1: ridiculous. There's other games we can play yeah,
0: here <laughs> for sure. For sure. On the way to school, right? What? So this is all the trash on the way to their school. Unreal. So yeah, bet on you. Yeah. I will say this to the day I die. Don't let anybody dictate or navigate your success. It's yours. Yeah. And how big it gets is on you. What would you say is a common misconception about you? That I wanted to be a sanitation worker. I did not. I wasn't jumping at the bit. Literally, like I said in the beginning, it was a city job. I'm humble enough to take a city. And I thought I was going to be making a lot of money, which was wrong. I was only making $31,000 a year when I first started. Hmm. So I was like, oh, okay, well, um, I guess I'm here now. Like, what are the advances? Then you can get your CDL, become a truck driver, or you could just apply for another department. But sanitation, mm-hmm. if you see the fine print, once you get in, you're like, oh, yeah. all of this for that. Yeah, okay. Wait two years for this?
1: Yeah, literally. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this, but what would you say is the biggest challenge facing Philadelphia today?
0: Oh, man, gun violence, number one. Trash and litter, 1.1. And honestly, leadership, 1.2. Mm-hmm. Those three. I, mean, I just feel like a lot of people who are in charge of this city, I joke all the time and say that people that have really high positions in this city who make a lot of big decisions walk around City Hall in their pajamas. Wow, That's what it feels like. Yeah. It just feels like we're just kind of just twisting in the wind. Yeah, And, you know, everybody has an initiative, but there's no doesn't feel like everybody's on one page or we don't have an accordance together everybody's just like oh let's do this let's do that let's do this he said that he said this we gotta do spend money here do this and like no one's listening to the people it's affecting
1: yeah
0: no one's really listening to community this is what the statistics say so we're gonna give money off of that and just like Mm. you know like you know it's just it's a it's a little heartbreaking on the flip side what excites you most about Philadelphia today? The hope. I honestly believe. I feel a change. I feel a shift that in the coming years will. This is a pivotal moment in Philly, and you know, for this next mayor race, and I believe the next mayor we have will make or break this city. Uh, and I just, I'm really encouraged to see who comes out and runs, and, yeah. you know, they're pillars, and if they're going to take, you know, zero waste, zero litter, um, if they're just going to take the cleanliness of the city serious, if they're going to take the gun violence city, if they're, because it's in Allegheny, it's its own epidemic in its yeah. own, you know, it's just, if we're going to be able to spend money better, if we're going to be able to actually invest in communities better, just i'm honestly hopeful yeah i'm gonna be a part of it i'm gonna be pushing this app i'm gonna have try to get the whole city to download the app and i'm gonna have so many more things with my nonprofit. so it's changing so much but it's still the same and so it's just those are the things that i can control yeah. that i'm going to do but i'm really hopeful that it's going to click yeah. for philly
1: last question If you could get one message to every Philadelphian, be it a tweet, a text, plane in the sky, billboard, whatever, one message, every Philadelphian could receive it and ponder it, what would you say?
0: I would tell every Philadelphian to try to do three things every day and see how their life would change. And those three things were to, every single day, strive to do good, to be kind, and to spread love and to see how different their life would be.
1: If you want to hear my entire interview with Terrell, you can become a Philly Who Premium member by clicking the links in the show notes. In addition to getting access to the unedited conversations I have with Philadelphia's doers, thinkers, and performers, By becoming a member, you'll also get access to the Philly Who community, where you can ask questions of guests, connect with other Philly doers, thinkers, and performers. You'll get a discount on Philly Who merch. You'll get priority access to live event tickets. And yes, you'll be supporting this show. To support the show, join Philly Who Premium via the link in the show notes. Philly Who is a Q9 production. This episode was produced and written by me and Catherine Nails, with editing by Jeremy Bishop, and a very special thanks to your trashman, Terrell Hagler. For Philly Who, my name is Kevin Schmidlin. Until next time.